So this is less of a sermon and more of a personal grievance. And now that I have your attention, and some of you are wishing it wasn't about you, let me tell you, this is a message, maybe not a personal grievance. We'll get to that in the end. But my message today is called, For the Love of God. And you have to understand the phrase. It's something you say when something shocking or unexpected happens. So throughout the sermon, I'm going to point to the audience, and I want you guys to say it with conviction. So let's try right now. For the love of God. There we go. Say it like you mean it. You usually say it when, when your check comes in late, or the bills say that they're going to be $100, and it turns out to be $500. You, you look down at the phone or the, the mail, and you go, oh, for the love of God. And it's, it's really a super common phrase, but I'm going to explore something with you today. I want to explore the possibility of where you would be if not for the love of God. Where we would all be if the love of God wasn't a reality for us. And to do that, we have to start by dissecting exactly what the love of God is. So I'm going to start there today, and I'm going to tell you the characteristics of the love of God. First and foremost, it's forgiving. It started off by forgiving you of your sins. Every one of us who has come to God had to come to God first by asking forgiveness and accepting him into our heart. And he continues to forgive you. Every day we sin, we make mistakes, and we fall short of the glory of God. And I'm not here to tell you that we're all going to hell because of that, because the love of God forgives you. And that's the impact that it can have on you. It's, it's forgiveness. The love of God is also unyielding. God is never going to stop loving you. There's nothing you can do That'll make him stop loving you. You can't say anything. And for those people in the world who were once a part of the church and left and now advocate that he's not real, God loves them. There's nothing that can be done. There's absolutely nothing. As a father, I can look down at my children and I can say there are going to be some things in life that I might disagree with as they get older or choices that I may not like, but there's nothing they can do that will make me not love them. And that's how God sees you. That's how God loves you. Then God's love sees you for your potential. It doesn't see you for who you are. It sees your tomorrow. You're not the person who's working at the stage one job. See, God sees you at your potential. Maybe you're the leader, and that's how God sees you. That's where God's love is at. It's not loving you because of who you are right now. It's loving you because God knows who you can be with him involved. So that's where God's love is at. It's, it's full of seeing you at your best, just like my mother or anybody's mother sees them at their best. No matter what happens, even if you're the worst player on the field, your mother still thinks you've got a shot at playing in the major leagues. Your mother says, well, he can swing a bat really well, and she completely ignores the fact that you can't throw a ball faster than 12 miles an hour. And that's the way God is. He sees you. The world might see problems. The world might see you as, as who you are right now. But God loves you so much, he sees you at your best. And he sees you not just at your best right now, but at your best tomorrow and the next day. And it's a really powerful thing. And the biggest thing that I want to get at today, one of the bigger ones, is the love of God doesn't discriminate. The love of God is for everyone at all times with no exclusions. As I said earlier, there's nothing you can do to make God not love you. And there's no one that God doesn't love. So there's no religious group. There's no racial group. There's no organization. There's no group of people on this earth 
that God won't love. And so we get into the last piece, and this is the one that I like the most, personally, because I'm personally affected by it. The love of God is given, not earned. And it's, it's, it's powerful to me because I think to myself, I couldn't earn it. That's why this is my favorite, because you get the love of God because he gave it to you, not because you earned it. And remember that. Keep that in your heart because that's going to be something big for you going around in the world. When you start to make mistakes, you have to understand that the world's going to tell you that you're a failure or that you've made your mistakes, and they're going to see you as you are as a failure. But see, the love of God is still there because you don't have to earn it. So with all of your mistakes, with all of, you know, I have a bit of a temper, and with all my anger outbursts in my home or all the times where I forget to love on people when I should love on them, but God still loves me. And so that has a really good personal impact on me. So now that we understand what the love of God is, you know, it's forgiving, unyielding, sees your potential, it's given, it's not earned, and it doesn't discriminate, we kind of understand the love of God. So now I want to go back to the original question. Where would we be if not for the love of God? So I think you have to reverse engineer the love of God to understand that. So let's go back to the first point. What if God never forgave you? What if on your journey to Christ, he said no? You've done too much. You were in the clubs too long. You were spending too much time focused on drugs, women, music, alcohol, all sorts of things. I can't, I can't forgive that. I can't let that go. I'm sorry. So what if God didn't forgive you? That means you would never be accepted into the family of Christ. The doors wouldn't be open. So just imagine that feeling. Just imagine that. And this is, we're going to keep going into this. So you're going to get a lot of emotion in this because I'm really trying to get something impactful into your heart. <clears throat> and the next one's really hard to comprehend. What if God stopped loving you? What if he did forgive you, but then he stopped? What if he just said, you know what? I don't want to love you today. What if he had the same kind of love that some of us have for other people and he just loved when he felt like it? And what if you went to God in prayer and he didn't respond to you because he didn't love you anymore? That feeling of emptiness would consume you. There's so many people in the world who feel unloved and they feel empty because of it. Now imagine the creator of all doesn't love you. Just imagine how that could make you feel. And what if God's potential for you wasn't real? What if you were only who you are right now? And you had to live with being exactly who you could be at this moment. What, was it? what if this was your max potential? I'm all for everyone being proud of themselves. I really think everybody should take a look every day and be proud of themselves. But as advice to young husbands, I give this advice all the time. Every day when you look in the mirror, if you see yourself and you say, I'm worthy of that woman in the next room, you're missing the point. You've got to grow every day. But what if I couldn't? And I think about it as a husband. Like, what if I, when I was 23 years old, what if I stopped growing then? I'll tell you, I wasn't worthy of my wife then, and I would hate to have to be who I am right now and watch her grow instead. You should be constantly growing, but what if you couldn't? What if that limit was on your life? Imagine the, the lack of hope you would feel, the, the sense of poor self-worth. Just imagine that. And what if God chose not to love you because of who you are? What if God said, I don't love people who wear jeans to church. 
I don't love people who, who were born in Bastrop and not Austin. I don't love young men or older women or black men or white men. What if God had a set of rules that you didn't fill in? How would that make you feel? How would you feel to know that God created you, but then decided that you were an error or that you needed to be changed in order to be loved? How would that make you feel? There are a lot of people who may not feel that from God, but they feel that from the world. They feel like just because of who they are, they're not worthy of something. We've all felt that way before. We've all had a a promotion or some sort of gift given to us, and we thought to ourselves, I didn't earn this. And there's a, a lot of people in the world who feel that. So what if God made you, but then decided, I don't like the way I made you. I don't like your hair. What if there are so many factors in there that he just stopped loving you? And the hardest one for me to comprehend is what if we had to earn God's love? What if we had to do all the right things all the time to earn God's love? I can tell you from my point of view, I'd fall short daily, hourly, almost on a minute basis. I would fall short. Minute to minute, I would fall short of God's glory, and I'd have to ask him to forgive me, and the process would begin over and over again, and the circle of my life would be constant failure, and that would make me feel depressed. And so I'm asking you these things today. Church, I'm asking you this. This sermon is short because it's got got a meaning for you that I want you to get. I don't want any sort of splish splash in there. I don't want any pizzazz. I just want the message to get into your heart because God spoke this to me. And I want it spoken to you. So at the beginning of this sermon, I said that this was a personal grievance. And we all kind of laughed it off. And I said that it was a joke. But let me tell you, this is a personal grievance. This is a real personal grievance of mine. And it's not with anybody in this room. It's not with anyone in particular. My personal grievance is with the amount of people who felt and feel the way we all did when I told you about the world without God. When I said, what if he didn't forgive you? There are people all over the planet that feel like they can't be forgiven for what they've done. My personal grievance is for the people on the streets who don't understand that God loves them no matter what. And my personal grievance is with every single one of them not having the love of God that I have. Sometimes as a pastor, I feel guilt that some people don't understand the love of God like I do. I feel sorrow because there's people that need the love of God more than I do. And they're not getting it. And they're not understanding it. And so that, to me, is something that grievance isn't a strong enough word. I hate that there are people out there, guys. I hate that there are people who don't understand how much God loves them. We just shared testimony of of hope for the homeless and how impactful it all was. And I'm sure some of those people have felt this very way right now that I talked about. They, they felt like they stopped, they were, they were unworthy of love or that they, they lacked choices in their life. They felt like maybe God didn't love them anymore and they questioned things. And man, I hate that. Hate's a strong word and you're not supposed to use it, but I'm going to look right down the lens of the camera and I'm going to say it again. I hate that. I really do. And God's love is supposed to be for everyone at all times. The way we felt earlier, that's how everyday people feel. 
So when you're frustrated with the world and you're frustrated with teenagers or the millennials or people on Facebook or another religious group or the news and you're, you're frustrated with the way the world works, they feel the way you did when I told you God wouldn't love you. That's how they feel. Now, they're wrong about God's love because they haven't received it, but that's how they feel. And think about that. Just think about they feel the way we felt every day of their life. And it starts to make their, their choices make a little more sense. It starts to make their lifestyle make a bit more sense, and it puts it into perspective. Most importantly, I want everyone in this building to remember who they were before they accepted God's love. Because the most important part of God's love is that it's always given, but there's a caveat to that. You have to receive it. And there are people who are making the choice not to receive it on a daily basis. And I don't want us to hate them. I don't want us to chastise them because all of us in this room at one point in time decided not to accept God's love. And we all had to come to God. And there are people every day, guys, who, who make the choice to be a part of another religion, to be a part of no religion, or to chastise us for being a part of Christianity. Don't hate them. They're not the enemy. The devil is. They're not the enemy. They're just people. And as a matter of fact... Even if they're in another religion or they're, they're anti-religious, we have a duty as Christians to share the love of God with them. If they don't want to accept that, that's on them. But we have a duty to love those people, love them first. Let's not chastise them for choosing Buddhism or deciding to be a Muslim or deciding to change religions or to not believe in God at all. Let's not do that because we've got to love them. God would come down and he would love these people. See, God didn't come down and say, the Jews are my chosen people, and they're the only ones I love. He chose a people, but he loved everyone around him. And to me, the love of God has always been equal in my heart. I've never heard a story of, of someone receiving God's love and thought, man, I've never felt that. It's always been equal. When I, when I hear testimony of God's love in someone's life, it touches my heart because it reminds me of the time I had that same exact moment. And so I looked up today, on the way to church, I looked up some numbers from the last census, and there are over 200 million Christians. They said over 75% of the population considers themselves to be a Christian. So that calculates to about 200 million people. Every year, 1.3 million people attempt suicide. And I looked at these numbers and I said to myself, so all the people who say they're Christians, there's 200 million. So let's just wipe out 50% right away and say that they're early stage or maybe not fully devoted. They're not all the way there yet. Or they may not have fully accepted Christianity. It's just kind of a thing they do. <clears throat> so that leaves us at 100 million. Say so 100 million solid, hardcore Christians. And 1.3 million people attempt suicide every year. This is my real personal grievance, guys. As a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a man, I hate that second statistic because it's affecting more and more young people every year. And I'm watching my children grow up in a world where that's an option to them. It's not, it's not some sort of thing you don't talk about. It. It's popular now. Their favorite celebrities are doing it. Their favorite people on, on Facebook, their friends, they're doing it. Pete Davidson, a lot of you may not 
know him, but he's a, a comedian from Saturday Night Live, and him and Ariana Grande have had a divorce, and he posted on or a breakup before they got married, and he posted that he didn't want to be on this world anymore, and he's getting chastised for it, and people are picking on him and making fun of him, but there's something real in that. There's a reality that he, we could wake up tomorrow and he could be on TMZ found dead. And as a man, as a father, I hate, I hate that so much because I'm watching a world in which my children see that as an option and it's the scariest thing because all the men in here, all the fathers in here know you do everything you can to fix the world for your kids and some things you just can't fix. And for my generation of fathers, that's a big one. We just can't fix the amount of exposure of suicide in this world. And so I look at trying to open up my heart to people and accepting everyone as who they are at all times and loving them no matter what. You see, God's love is unyielding and it's not, it doesn't discriminate. So neither should our love. We're supposed to be a reflection of Christ. And so this church has done such a good job of being that. Take that home with you and be a real reflection of Christ. And here's, here's a possibility. I'm not saying that we can wipe out suicide, but let me tell you, 200 million Christians, if a tenth of those people were to have the love of God in their heart, be forgiving, see people for their potential, never stop loving them, don't discriminate against them, all of the factors that I said, if they get that kind of love out in the world, maybe we can get that suicide number out of the millions. Maybe we can get it down to the hundreds. Maybe we can even eradicate it. Because so many of these people who are deciding to commit suicide or attempting suicide feel the way we said we would feel if God didn't love us. So many people in the world don't understand that God loves them. It's our job to tell them. Not to tell them that they're dumb for what they've done. Not to tell them that they're wrong. Not to decide or pick and choose who we think deserves God's love, but it's, it's our job to just love people. So let's all take that home today. Let's all look on Facebook and find people and just love on them. The next time you get into a Facebook argument or you're trying to, you're going to comment and you're almost about to get in that little Facebook beef, don't. Post something loving instead. The next time you hit share on a message that's not in love, don't. Don't. Immediately, when you see a message that is discriminatory or isn't forgiving or isn't reflective of God's love, don't share that one. Write your own status about how much you love those people instead. What if we did that? What if we filled Facebook with God's love? What if our teenagers, as they flipped through Facebook, saw nothing but posts of love and hope and faith and real everyday humanity from people like us? I can tell you the impact that would have. It'd make me a little less scared to watch my kids grow up. It would give me some more comfort knowing that there are good people out there and they're making an impact. It's not enough to just be a good person, guys. You have to show that you're a good person. Be proud of it. The world will tell you it's boastful to be proud of doing something good like hope for the homeless. And we shouldn't have taken pictures and all that. No, it's good. It's a good thing. Share it. Because people are taking pictures of negative things every day and they're sharing them on Facebook and they're telling stories about it on the news and they're writing books and they're telling children negative things every day. So we have to counteract that with positivity, with God's love. 
So don't be ashamed of it. And don't feel like it makes you proud or it makes you boastful. If there's one thing that you could be boastful of as a Christian, that's God's love. If the world tells you you're boasting about that, good, you're doing your job. So I challenge everybody in this room to do everything they can every day to reflect God's love. Now we pull up the first scripture. I'm going to bombard you guys with four scriptures now because I want to drive the point home that this isn't just me saying this. This is some biblical stuff. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Mm. It's plain and simple. I could stop there, but I got three more for you. Let's go on to the next one. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I can stop at that scripture. But this one goes on. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. His love is perfected in you. God's love is perfect because you accept it, because you reflect it, because you share it. Go on to the next scripture now. We love because he first loved us. Another one we could stop right there. The people in the world who we think may not deserve God's love, right there. John four nineteen. we love because he first loved us. That's good enough to preach a sermon on. I could go word by word, and pastor could go, and buddy could go, and Harold could go. We could all preach on that one right there. But we're going to go on. If someone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. Whew. Sometimes God speaks it plain and clear in his word. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, who he has not seen. Whew, that's good stuff. Go on. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And let me give you a secret about this. Brother doesn't mean fellow Christian. It just means someone else. That's, that's just a term. It's a phrase. You could replace brother with friend or neighbor or coworker. That's just a word, guys. So we should love everyone. That's what this is saying. Just love everyone because you love God. And you can't say you love God if you hate someone else. That's good stuff. So let's go on to the last the scripture because this is one of my favorite. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I thank God every day that he chose to die for me before I was worthy of it. That he forgave me while I was out in the world sinning. That he forgave me when I was drinking before I was 21. And breaking mailboxes with my friends. And spending more time having fun than getting good grades in school. And doing more things wrong than I should have done in high school. And I spent my early years growing up as a young man, bouncing from job to job. Sometimes for factors I couldn't help and sometimes because I was just not wanting to work. And I thank God every day that he died for me. In Romans 5 and 8 it says right there, well I was sinning, he died for me. And it doesn't say me guys, it doesn't, it says us. And again, that's not a Christian thing. That's every single human being on this earth. God died for them. So, as a pastor of this church, I have a message for anyone on Facebook, on YouTube, or someone who's maybe even here today who's been hurt by the church. Maybe not our church, but they've been hurt by religion, religious people, by a friend or family member who, who says they're a Christian, let me tell you something. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry that we've made mistakes. I'm sorry that some churches have, have discriminated against you because of your tattoos or, or your clothes or the way you look or the way you dress or factors you can't help like your skin color or who you choose to love, things like that. Those things right there, I'm sorry. My people have failed you. But let me tell you a secret about my people. None of us are perfect. None of us should claim to be. But we do know someone that is. He's never discriminated against you. He's never stopped loving you. He doesn't think of you as a second-class citizen. You're a child of God. And if you don't want to accept that today, that's okay, but that doesn't change the fact that you're still a child of God. Logan and Caden and Isaac, those are my children. No matter what they do, those are my sons. Liana, no matter what she does, is my daughter, and she can't separate from that. We cannot separate ourselves from being children of God. Even if you choose not to love him back, God still loves you. So from Austin Alive Church, from Joseph Avery, I'm so sorry that somebody has failed you before. But don't let those failures define my God. Don't let those failures let you think that's the way church works because it's not. Church is hope for the homeless. Church is picking up the phone and calling at 2 a.m. because you found out your family member is going to the hospital and someone answers. Church is prayer in the park. Church is the lupus walk. Church is every single one of us in this building doing everything we can every day to share the love of God. And if at any point in time religion has ever hurt you, I stand with you. I stand with you right here, right now, and I declare I hate religion just as much as you do because it gets in the way of faith. You've given religion a try. Let that go. Come into the church. Come into Jesus. Give love a try. Give faith a try. Those things won't let you down. So from this church, anybody who sees this, if you want to come to our church, come as you are. Don't fix yourself up. Look down at what you're wearing right now as you watch this video and come in exactly what you're wearing right now. If you got tattoos, don't wear long sleeves. Show them off. I want to see them. I want to know where you got them from. I want to know how much you paid because I may want some myself. We don't care because we just want to love you. So everybody, I think it shouldn't just be a personal grievance. I think that should be a universal grievance with the way the world works. I think we should all feel the exact same way I feel about the amount of people who haven't accepted the love of God. We should hate it. Not the people, but we should hate that they haven't accepted God. We're not going to force it down their throat. We're not going to force anything on them, but we're just going to show them such good love that they can't help but want to be a part of it.